Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Today is officially my first show as your new host of Where We Live, and I just want to take a moment to thank everyone for joining in and for all of the kind wishes. I'm so excited to start this adventure with you all to the point that I could not for the life of me figure out what I wanted to do as a first show. I've been guest hosting, so shouldn't be a big deal, but I wanted to do something fun. Naturally, my mind went blank. I was talking with my producer and saying how, for someone who has like three planners and journals, I sure can't plan anything. Then it dawned on me that, hey, that's their first show. All the journaling, all the planning, and all the organizing. I've always loved having journals and planners. I had a list of show ideas in one of those planners, but of course, none of them fit as what I thought a first show should be. But I needed that list to spark this idea today. So joining me now to talk about the impacts of journaling is Amanda Stern. She's a journaling coach based in Connecticut and Shawana Jefferson. She's the owner of Cairo Stationery, also based in Connecticut. Thank you both for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you, Catherine, for having us. You can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So Amanda, we're going to start with you. Um, what got you to start journaling? Yeah, I always tell the story of how I discovered journaling as an angsty teenager. It was back in the 90s. I was having a really hard day, and none of my friends could come to the phone. And so I picked up a notebook and a pencil and I just started to write. And I remember writing for a really long time. And when I was done writing, I felt better. I felt lighter. I had that feeling I get when you unload everything that's troubling you to a friend on the phone. And I liked the way that felt. So I picked up my journal again the next night and again the next until I had a robust journaling practice. Uh, you had me at angsty teenager. I had a lot of composition books and and all of, all of the stickers and all of the angst in those diary pages. Um, can you talk about what impacts journaling has had on your life? Yeah, journaling is the best way I know to show up for myself. Um, learning who I am as I fill the pages of my journal, learning what I want, where I want to go, how I'm going to get there. Um, and really, it happens just one day at a time. But I think the most profound story of journaling and the impact it had came from um, getting divorced about eight years ago. My husband came home one day and just declared he decided he would be happier not being married to me. And I knew then that I had a choice to make. I could either allow myself to spiral into negativity or I could reach out and grab hold of every good thing that came my way. And I started in the pages of my journal. I made myself write what I was grateful for. And it was really hard because I did not feel grateful in that moment for very much. But I came up with eight things. 
And I thought, if I can be grateful for eight things on this hardest day of my life, I'm really going to be okay. And I started really using my journal to dig in, to figure out, again, who I was, where I wanted to go, how to design a life that felt really good to me and how I was going to get there. I used my journal to set big goals, to hold myself accountable, to celebrate the progress that I'm making, to really think through what I need on each particular day to show up as the best version of myself, and then make sure I move forward and do those things. Well, that's a very powerful beginning to this Monday. Uh, Shawana, I want to ask you the same question too. You know, what got you to start journaling? For me, I've always been a very shy and quiet person, and I've never felt comfortable expressing myself verbally. And that led to a lot of you know, feelings of self-doubt and self and feelings of not being able to communicate. And that made me feel really, you know, really low, especially as a child and a teenager when it's those, it's that time of your life where you're trying, you're, you're learning yourself and you're learning how to, you know, connect with people and, you know, be that best self. And I couldn't feel that way because I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable expressing myself verbally and you know, meeting those expectations. And as I got into my teenage years, I started to feel very um, depressed and low. And so I started going to therapy and it was a therapist who, you know, suggested, you know, trying to write things down, write down my emotions and write down how I'm feeling and write down things that I wanted to express verbally, but really, really couldn't. And that led to like that awakening of, oh my goodness, like journaling is a way for me to get myself out there and let myself be heard. Even though it's on paper, it's a way for me to understand that what I have to say and what I'm thinking is valid. And, you know, what I have to offer is real. Even though I'm the only one who's able to see it, just knowing that those things can be read and essentially can be heard was very powerful for me. And so once I started, I've never stopped. And it was a way for me to you know, express myself. And it was a way for me to let myself know that what I'm feeling is okay. And also a way for me to kind of turn the negative feelings that I was feeling about myself into positive things. So writing down all the negative things and then looking at it and saying, you know what, this isn't really true. This is something that that I'm telling myself in, a, in moments of self-doubt. But in reality, I am a good person. I am a capable person. I am a strong person. And that, you know, that kind of led to my my journey of self-healing and growth. So that's what, that's like the main thing that journaling has done for me and continues to do for me as an adult, as someone who's um, working full-time, someone who is a daughter, an aunt, a sister, a friend, you know, someone who is starting her own business um, is something that kept me afloat and kept me confident and kept me, keeps me going. So that's like, that's the main benefit of journaling for me. It sounds like um, everyone needs that reminder every once in a while, really. And then also t- the teenager seems to be the start of this. Um, we're going to have to take a short break in a little bit, but Shawana, I just want you to talk really quickly. Can you, can you share a little bit of how you got in, you continue to get into it as an adult and getting your work yeah. So right now, um, as I said, I started um, creating my own journals and it was a way for me to continue to feel empowered. Um, I like to 
I like to journal about a lot of like empowering things, as I said. Um, so I started creating journals that have really powerful words such as strong and worthy and, and powerful <laughs> and growth. Um, just because as an adult, I feel like I have to have this continuous reminder that I am worthy and I am capable of doing the things that I set my mind to. And I feel like that's a, an important thing for adulthood because we're thrown into this this time of our life where we have to, you know, um, put ourselves out there and make a living and, you know, continue to make connections and build relationships and network and things like that. But we don't always have the, the, um, the skills to think that these things are actually capable <laughs> of, you're not actually capable of doing these things. And so journaling is for me right now, a way for me to, to stay on top of things and remind myself and continue to feel encouraged to be an adult and, and know that I am capable of, of succeeding in everything that I'm doing. I'm sure that I was going to say that that resonates with everyone, I'm sure. Um, We're going to take a really quick break, but we will be right back with Amanda Stern. She's a journaling coach based in Connecticut and Shawana Jefferson, who's the owner of Cairo Stationery, also based in Connecticut. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. We're here talking about journaling today with Amanda Stern, who is a journaling coach in Connecticut, and Shawana Jefferson, who owns Cairo Stationery, also based in Connecticut. You can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Shawana, I want to come back to you real quick. Um, Do you mind telling us how you're making journaling more inclusive? I'm making journaling more inclusive by creating journals that 
represent Black women. Um, and also making journals that represent people or women who deal with um, issues with um, self-expression or better yet, um, representing women who want to enhance their self-expression and also um, enhance their, self, um, their self-growth. Um, my main thing is to create journals that have, um, who have Black women on them. So my journals have pictures of women who, who are who are who are um, African American or who have you know natural features, natural hair, things like that. Things that you don't really see in in stores or things that aren't represented on social media as widely as you know different other you know cultures or other representations. And Amanda, speaking of, on that, can you talk about how to start journaling and the pressure around journaling? I think Shawana just mentioned there's a lot of social, you know, a lot of perfect journals on social media or journals that don't look like you or not not really your vibe. How do you how do you get around getting caught up with having wanting that perfect handwriting, wanting that perfect journal? Yeah, I think the first most important thing is to understand what you want to get out of your journaling experience. Um, Sometimes we get this idea of what journaling should be, and that keeps us from using journaling in a way that really feels good to us. Um, You know, we all know that um, gratitude journals can be really helpful, but if we're looking to be more productive, a gratitude journal isn't necessarily going to get you there. So when When we think about starting a journaling practice, starting with your end goal in mind and matching it with a technique that'll help you get there um, can be a really fast path to creating a sustainable journaling practice that takes you where you want to go. Um, And as far as finding a journal that works for you, I always tell people go and look at journals. take them off the shelf, feel the paper, look at how how the lines are arranged on the page. Um, see what feels really good to you. Um, because if I have a journal that I look forward to using, I'm going to show up um, every day and put words on the page. If I open my journal and I'm like, ugh, this is what I have to journal with, that's not gonna be very motivating. And what works for each of us is going to be a little different. I have friends who do their best writing in a inexpensive composition notebook. I have other people I've worked with who really want a beautiful Italian leather bound volume. I always recommend finding something that's, um, that's good enough. Um, that's nice enough to encourage you to keep showing up and keep using your materials, but not so nice that you're going to be afraid to fill the pages and that you're going to put expectations on yourself for what journaling should be. Well, you just convinced me to go journal shopping right after this, for sure. Say no more. And Shawana, do you experience that pressure around making your journal look perfect, especially since you design your own? At first I did, yes. Um, as Amanda said, there is a lot of pressure to, you know, when you're journaling to make sure that it's like, it's perfect, there's no flaws, that there's, that everything is perfect and you're writing the specific things instead of just like free writing. Um, but after a while, I decided to just create journals that 
I feel are really open and that are really inviting and allows people to write whatever they feel and not have to worry about making sure that things are really beautiful and that things are flawless. I like to create journals that encourage people to write what's on their minds, encourage people to write down their thoughts and their emotions without having to worry about whether or not it looks perfect or sounds perfect in their heads or to other people. Um, there is a lot of pressure. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure, especially in our on social media or in our society, to write things that are acceptable. And the whole point, for, for me at least, of journaling is to be able to write things that are authentic and that speaks to you and no one else. Um, no one journal is perfect. No one entry, journal entry is perfect. You can write things, as Amanda said, from, you know, writing a list of gratitude or writing down one word that says how you're feeling in that moment and then going back later and writing down another word that expresses how you feel in another moment because every moment is different. Every day is different. Um, and so I feel like it's very important to create journals that encourage people to just write down things that they're feeling in the moment instead of writing down things that they think should be in a journal. Uh, Amanda, do you want to respond to that? Just talking about how you know journals are there for you. You're not really doing it for anyone else, right? Yeah, but to really to build on it, I think it's so important to remember that our journals don't judge. They're not judging the ideas we put in them. They're not judging the sentences we put in them. They're not judging our grammar, our handwriting, and anything. And if we can let that go and not judge ourselves, and as Shawana said, just really be authentic on the page, that's when we're going to get the most value from our experience. Because the whole point of journaling for me is to show up for myself, to become a better person, to use my journal to really figure out how I'm going to move my life forward. And if I'm not honest and authentic with myself, on the pages of my journal, um, I'm really just wasting my time. Uh, joining us now is another fellow journal lover, Joanna Gutierrez-Griffiths, who is the founder of JJ Papery & Co., the stationery and home goods brand and calligraphy and engraving studio based here in Connecticut. <laughs> Welcome, Joanna. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. And what got you started journaling? Yeah, so for me, journaling came I mean, I would, I had a diary growing up, so I didn't, looking back now, as I listen to everyone, I didn't think that was journaling, but maybe it was. Um, but when I took it, I stopped. Um, I, I was like younger when I started doing that, but I began again, I guess, um, in my later in life, um, like in my thirties when I started my business. Um, so when I started pursuing entrepreneurship and it was something that I learned more about like through Instagram actually. Um, and it was really due to my mindset. Um, I had a lot of like imposter syndrome and just like lack of, I guess, confidence in my business at the time, just because it was so new and I was new to the space. I went from like a marketing event production experience role and roles to more of a creative one. Um, so I didn't have like traditional background and like anything that I was pursuing. So for me, um, a lot of mindset work had to be done to really just gain more confidence in myself and just kind of mentally realize that like, you know, I am now in control of my life and journaling is really what centered me and just got me 
really more focused in like what I wanted my life to look like and just more of just building awareness of what, what I wanted my, just my mental state to be in. Um, and it, it took me a bit to get to that, like, and like really have a practice more down just because what everyone was also saying, like you see certain journal prompts or you see certain journals like out there and stuff. And I love the idea of the five minute one, but I open it and it just doesn't really like resonate with me. So I just kind of create my own prompts and like my own, my own way of journaling, just because I can't, I can't fill, I can't do it another way that someone else is kind of telling me. Although when I first started, I was like really adamant about doing it like the best way. <laughs> um, but I kind of, I'd let that go. And I kind of just do it a way that works for me that is like sustainable. So. Well, it sounds like the moral of the story is we all have to find what works for us. And it seems like from this conversation that entrepreneurship and creativity and social media all kind of ties back to the, together to journaling, which is not something I expected. And so, Joanna, you know, you used to be a project manager. You used to work in a very different space. There's a lot of you know great apps and tools for project management. Have you utilized any of that? Does that change anything in terms of using different digital journaling versus paper journaling? What are your thoughts on that? So as far as as far as like project managing, I do use an app. Um, I do use Notion and it's that's because it helps me with like overall like overview of like my year essentially. But my day to day, I have like a a a notepad for like my to-do list. But as far as like more on the journaling, that's more for like my mental, my, my mental, my mental health and like my well-being. And like, that's just how I can start my day focused on like what I want my work day to look like and what I want my life to, my life to look like in like that day. Um, so I do have like, I have purposes for like different things. Um, but I am a combo of like both traditional like writing and then like a digital app. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think Notion for me is a new one, but um, I like having both options just because I'm constantly like new things pop up in my head. And if I just like if I have it on a piece of paper just out there, I don't find it. So that's why for me, like having a digital format is also helpful um, just because I know I can't really lose it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always a, don't want to cause anxiety there when journaling is supposed to decrease that. And speaking of which, I um, want to bring in Carrie Bolger. She's a professor of psychology at Quinnipiac University who will be joining us now to tell us how journaling can help mental health and physical health. Um, hi, Carrie. How's it going? Hi, Catherine. Great. And congratulations on your first show. Oh, thank you so much. And you can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. And so, Carrie, can you talk to us about the psychology of journaling? Why is it so beneficial for us? Yeah, well, everyone has talked about a lot of the benefits already. And uh, as I was listening, I was checking off all the things that I had already written down that you you journal to learn about yourself right and it increases your self-awareness of your what you're thinking and how you're processing your thoughts and your feelings and emotions um, and as Shawana said it gives you a chance to learn how to express those thoughts uh, so not necessarily something everyone is good at all the time um, one of the things that I am struck by as well is how journaling gives us a chance to slow down just for a minute 
um, kind of to interrupt the hustle of our lives, right, where we reflect and then that allows us to relax a bit. Uh, I think that's a really important function of journaling and it's probably why it does help with your mental health and your overall well-being, reducing stress and anxiety and kind of getting you thinking thinking straight in a way. And could, could this be described as journaling is a form of meditation? I think for some types of journaling and you're, you know, the other guests, Amanda and Shawana and Joanna have talked about a lot of different types of journaling. Certainly some of them would be very meditative for sure. Um, but I don't think all types of journaling are meditative. Right. And also, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on whether or not journaling, um, it, you know, it, 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 we've been talking about how it releases or rele- relieves anxiety, but could it cause more anxiety because you are sort of forcing yourself to face whatever the thing is? What are, what are your thoughts right. on that? So that's a really important question. And I think, uh, you know, the, the quick answer is, you probably, probably everyone shouldn't journal um, for all problems. Um, but in terms of, for example, uh, like if you're using a journal to track, I don't know, uh, eating, right? Some people use journals to, to sort of keep track of, how am I doing on reducing my sugar intake? Uh, people with eating disorders should not do that, right? That's unless you're doing it under the guidance of a very qualified physician and therapist. But anxiety, I mean, the best way to reduce anxiety is to actually confront it. And so I do think a journal would help with that, should help with that. And we've been talking a lot about mental health, but how can journaling help with our physical health? Right. I think, uh, again, that sort of um, tracking of what you're doing can be a really helpful tool. Uh, Journals can be, but you know, sort of that expressive, reflective um, aspect of our lives, but you can also use it for really practical stuff, right? Like today I walked for 10 minutes and tomorrow I'm walking for 12 and that can help you sort of keep track of what you're doing physically. Um, I, uh, Amanda talked a bit about setting a goal and what your goal is for your journal. Actually, I think everybody talked a little bit about this and I, that's really important too. Goal setting is a very powerful technique for meeting and getting to somewhere you want to go. Um, in a journal, it would be a place to name your goal, set a time or an end time to meet that goal, and then track how you're doing along the way. I think that's important. And what happens when we journal or write down our thoughts? Is there a neurological connection there? Or when you're doing different journals like bullet journaling versus gratitude journaling, does that make a difference? So there's not a ton of research on that, although there is research on expressive writing. Um, you know, doing doing neurological studies is expensive and difficult, <laughs> so it's not really a surprise that there's not a lot of research on this. But I have seen some studies that looked at what happens when you ask people to write about events in their lives, in particular negative events, and it looks like what happens is people are processing emotions even after they're done writing. So the, the, the areas of the brain that we use to um, activate negative emotions and to um, store and remember personal memories are active even after you're done writing about that, that event of a failure. Um, and the authors of that particular study said that that's probably because we're processing it better. Uh, I mean, that's one study, but I think it's, it's intriguing. 
It is intriguing, and I'm intrigued to hear. Um, Amanda, I just want to bring you back real quick. We have, about, we have about two minutes left, but I just wanted to ask uh, to respond to what Carrie has been saying. I have found journaling to be helpful in every area of my life. Um, I can't think of a single area that it hasn't touched. I am healthier. I take better care of myself when I journal. I um, am more goal-oriented when I journal. I am more accountable to myself when I journal. Um, Just in every area, in work, in my personal life, with my family, in relation to my hobbies and learning and really every area of my life, which I think is wild because it is such a simple tool, but such a versatile and effective tool. And I think when we can get out of our heads, the idea that journaling should look a certain way um, and just open ourselves to the possibilities of what journaling could be. It is so much broader and wider a field than we realize. And so many of us are already doing things that count as journaling, but we might call it something different, like planning our day or jotting down notes or sketching out our ideas. You know, all of these really have um, journal-like qualities to them and probably um, are included in the journal umbrella. Well, and speaking of uh, journal umbrella, Lillian on Facebook shared with us that rather than keeping a journal, I've been writing paper letters to my best friend from college and she backed me for decades now. I can say all the things I need to, but I never need to cringe at what I've poured out later. We joke that that's future archivists and historians' problem. And so prior to the show, we kind of talked about uh, how we love um, reading journals and letters from other people. Thank you, Lillian, for uh, sharing that with us. Amanda, do you want to respond to that real quick, just from a you know, historian's perspective or just, uh, you know, what, how people would react if they see our letters and journals in the future? Yeah, I love that because I I would give my eye teeth to have even a page of a journal that one of my grandmothers left behind to learn what their life was really like. But it's interesting because the number one fear I hear about um, journaling is what if somebody reads it, right? We're all so worried that other people are going to read what we write and then judge us somehow because of, because of it. And I always say just When we can come at journaling authentic and willing to express who we are um, and make it a tool that helps us in the here and now, what happens with our journals later maybe isn't quite as important. Um, I imagine my kids are going to inherit all of mine and they'll roll their eyes when they see the big stack of journals they have to deal with and they'll casually flip through them, toss them in the discard pile, and then every once in a while, you know, find a little nugget that sparks their interest and tuck that volume away for, for later. But it's such a great way to record our stories so we can go back and learn from them, right? So going back and revisiting what I wrote last week or last year or 10 years ago really can help me mark my progress and see how far I've come and how much I've changed and grown. Well, thank you so much for that, Amanda. You've been listening to Amanda Stern. She's a journaling coach based in Connecticut and Shawana Jefferson, who's the owner of Cairo Stationery, and also Carrie Bulger, who's a professor of psychology at Quinnipiac University. 
I'm, this is Where We Live. I'm Catherine Shen. Coming up next, The Joke's On Me. Where We Live producer Tess Terrible and I are switching chairs, and she's taking the mic to interview me. You can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Tess Terrible. In our last segment today, we're flipping the script to introduce Where We Live's new host, Catherine Shen. Catherine joined Connecticut Public in 2021 as an education reporter, and during her tenure at Connecticut Public, she's explored the impact of the pandemic, including student mental health, teacher shortages, and the challenges in early education. She also moderated the second congressional district debate hosted by Connecticut Public leading up to the 2022 midterms. I've had the privilege to get to know Catherine these last few months as she gets ready to take on her role as host. To say the least, the Where We Live team is incredibly excited to work with her. Catherine, welcome to Where We Live. Huzzah. I just want to start by saying this is very strange. This is very strange. (laughs) Flipping the script here. So maybe to start off to, to let our listeners kind of get to know you a little bit, tell me about what your life growing up in California look like? I know that's that's where your home state is. And when you first knew you wanted to become a journalist and work in this industry? That is my home state. So I'm not going to apologize if a little valley girl might come out every now and then. Um, it, it was great growing up in California. And I mean, as I'm thinking about it, I can almost describe it like one of those early 2000s Disney movies that was very idyllic. We were in a very nice neighborhood where all the neighbors knew each other. And so I have memories of your typical playing baseball on the street, rolling down your driveway on a skateboard. Um, But I do have a little segue where um, that was the first seven years of my life. And uh, my family actually moved to Taiwan when I was seven. And I spent the next seven years there. So I basically had my elementary and middle school years there. Came back as a high school student and spent my teenage years back in California. So California is sort of my life sandwich during that time. And it was actually around then that I knew I wanted to become a journalist. Although it was when I was living in Taiwan where my mom planted the seed in my head because the wise woman as she is, I think she realized really early that math and sciences was not for me. (laughs) And um, I have a very vivid memory of just uh, the family. We have the news on and we were having dinner and she just suddenly 
said to me, you know, you can think about becoming an anchor. And at the time, there was no differentiation of an anchor person or a reporter, but that was the moment. And so as kids, you think about you want to be this, you want to be that. At some point, I wanted to be a detective, an optometrist, a teacher, like you name it, I want to do it. And then it was in high school where the idea cemented because I realized, well, I have all these interests. I want to do all these things. And to me, I thought, well, being a journalist can kind of allow me to do that. So that's the Sparks Notes version of the origin story. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Talk more about about your journey of like finding your voice as a journalist and, and now coming into this role as a talk show host. Well, I'm still finding my voice, I think, literally. I did not expect to become a radio reporter when I came in in 2021, although I did have training in broadcasting as a college student, um, but life never goes according to what you plan to do. And so I sort of accidentally became a newspaper reporter which is not super surprising if you consider one of my heroes was Lois Lane and still is. And, um, and actually it was, through, it was through her that I learned it's okay to be yourself. Like the best way to be a journalist is to do it your way. And obviously along the way, I also had really great colleagues and bosses that guided, you know, young Catherine as a reporter. Um, many thanks to them to help me find that voice. And But to answer your question, I don't actually know what that voice is yet. So I'm excited to have you all with me on this voice journey to figure out what that is, especially coming into this role as a talk show host, which is also very unexpected in the best way. And so I'm excited to see what that looks like. In the last few months, you've kind of served as our interim host, and we've had a lot of conversations about what we want to do with where we live. And where we live, I I think our listeners know, is a very mission-oriented show. The team is really committed to serving the people of Connecticut and always connecting our shows, our coverage to, you know, whether we're covering a national topic or a local one, back to the people in our state. And I'm wondering if you can talk about how you've kind of connected to that mission, because as you've been onboarded, I've really seen that mission kind of shine through you. Well, I'm really glad to hear you say that because I I love that mission. Um, I think uh, me as a reporter, that's what I've always done. Um, My reporter journey has always been very local or hyper-local. So it's not different for me to, to, I mean, you go both ways, right? When, When it's really local, you think about how does it impact everyone else. And when you have something big that's happening to everyone else, you try to figure out how does that impact you. So I think in a lot of ways, being a reporter and being a host for where we live, to me, there's not really a huge difference. It's just the audience is different, the way you're consuming news is different, and how do we balance that? And so I really, I love that about where we live. Um, I love the mission of localizing uh, statewide national news, international news, and also on the flip side, we try to contextualize Connecticut, as we say. I really believe that everything that happens in the world it affects us in some way. And I am super excited to figure that out with everyone. I think a lot of people in, you know, especially outside our state, uh, kind of view Connecticut as a bit of a monolith, as like not not as diverse as we actually are. And I find Connecticut 
it to actually be a much more rich and diverse state than than we realize. And when we announced um, that you were going to be the new host, uh, something you said in the presser was, it's my privilege to be able to create opportunities for the diverse voices across our state. Can you talk a little bit about what um, highlighting these diverse voices looks like for you? I really agree with that, considering I've only been in Connecticut for a handful of years. I I must admit, the only point of reference I had for Connecticut when I realized I was moving here was Gilmore Girls. So not, <laughs> so not the best example, but also to your point, I think I think you know I think every every living space has its reputation, and so oftentimes I find I've lived in, in so many places that had you you always have like a preconceived notion of what the place should be, and usually when you go to the place, you realize that while some may be true, but it, I agree, it's it's most places are definitely a lot more diverse or much more richer than you are being led to believe. But we have to really dig in and explore that, which is what I love about this job um, as a reporter. I'm forced to go into places that I never would have gone as just like a quote quote regular person, and so I have used that as a, an opportunity for me to explore different places. And I've done that in pretty much all the places that I've lived and worked. And what I mean by what I said in the presser is it is my privilege that people open them up open themselves up to me and have these really in-depth conversations or they're vulnerable in front of me. It's I never take those chances or I never take those opportunities for granted because it's difficult to open up to people. And here we are doing it live on air. Um, and so in the diverse voices for me, it's not just race, it's not just gender, it's not just a certain identity, it's, it's different backgrounds, different places, and I think the word diversity is diverse in of itself. And so I'm very much looking forward to exploring that too and sort of going beyond what we think diversity is and open up those conversations as wide as possible. I'm looking forward to that as well. And and I have to ask, you know, you are a Asian American journalist and you were working in a time when we are hearing more and more about hate crimes against Asian Americans. So I, I wanna, if, if you could, I'd love to hear from you how your cultural identity shapes the work you do as a journalist. So <clears throat> that's, a, that's a great question because I am still wondering how that cultural identity um, shapes my work as a journalist and as a human being. I know, I, would, I do want to say that hate crimes against the AAPI, the Asian American Pacific Islander community, has been happening for, for a very long time. I think it's a good and bad thing that we're hearing about it now, a good thing because conversations are finally happening of how to, how do we deal with it. Bad, obviously, because it's still happening. And so, like many... Asian Americans, I think at the peak of the attacks during the pandemic, it really, I think a lot of us kind of went inside internally and try, we're trying to figure out, you know, what does it mean to be first generation, second generation, third generation API? Um, but I, I did an interview when I was a reporter at the Herald with a very prominent local black uh, woman leadership, leadership person. Um, something she said really struck me. She said, She's an African-American first and a woman second. And what struck me was because I always thought of myself as the opposite. I saw myself as a woman first and then an Asian-American. But when she said that, I realized, well, that's how I view myself. But when I'm outside, 
the world tends to like to re- remind me that I'm an Asian American. And so that really changed my outlook on this. And I don't have a direct answer in terms of what does that mean yet, because still, I'm still trying to figure it out. But I'm hoping with my very specific experience, I'm only one Asian American with one very unique experience. I hope to use that to you know, be more aware of when we're doing stories related to this, that we're not just telling stories of tragedy. Um, I really want to emphasize that we're all still just human. You know, we, we laugh, we cry, we have joyful stories. It's not just immigrant stories. It's not just stories of tragedy. Um, you know, we're tired. We get, we get stressed. You know, we just want to chill out on the couch and watch Netflix. Like, we're really much more universal than we think. And I do see we are getting there. Um, it's just got, we have a lot of homework to do. We certainly do. Um, in, the, in the last few months, as you've served as our interim host on Where We Live, I want to ask you about some of the, the favorite conversations you've had on the show thus far. That is the worst question ever. I know. I know we've, we've had <laughs> a lot of great ones so far. It's so exciting. It is. Uh, I mean... In recent memory, I I really love this show. Actually, we did together on Holidays and Gratitude. Um, I think it was right before Christmas. That was great because we brought in uh, various um, perspectives and we had religion, we had like psychology and it was that was just really, really fun and really chased away the holiday blues for me, I think a little bit. Um, I also really enjoyed uh, the show that was produced by Anya Grandowski about Veganuary, just because that was another fun kind of different way of seeing uh, diet and how we treat ourselves and animals and whatnots and also how we view New Year's resolutions. I thought that was really cool. And then um, a recent show produced by Kitty Pellico with RuPaul's Drag Race was also really fun just because I know I'm choosing all the fun shows, but I think it's it's fair to have a good time here. Um, and that was just something really different. It was really cool to showcase drag queens from Connecticut. Who knew? Yes, we, we've certainly had a lot of fun in the last uh, few months, and it's been really exciting to see our listeners get to know not just uh, Catherine Chen as a journalist, but Catherine Chen as a person. Um, so we put out a little promo video, and something has been getting a lot of attention, and that is your pink conference. What's the story be- behind your pink conference? Uh, it's my secret ploy for Converse to come sponsor us. Just kidding, but not really. Um, I just really always love wearing Converse. They're very comfortable. And I started wearing them in high school. And I think it was sort of part of my very punk rock, rebellious identity as all high school students have, right? And um, so I think maybe it's a little bit of, of an adult Catherine wanting to honor high school Catherine when she realized she wanted to be a journalist. And it all kind of culminates to this moment. I love it. And um, our listeners can't see this right now, obviously, but she's wearing Converse today as well. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) I love it. Um, When you're not behind the mic, what are some of your hobbies and your passions that you pursue when you're not working as a journalist? This is going to make me sound so boring, but I love reading. And so... 
chances are pretty high catching me around the state digging for library sales and I'm big secondhand slash vintage slash used books. I think about 95% of the books I own are are uh, secondhand books. So you can find me doing that um, or I'm arranging my bookshelves or I'm taking pictures of books. Um, basically just doing everything to not actually read the books. Um, and I've also recently been really into Chinese dramas, so that's also the reason why I'm not reading as much. But yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We have a lot of big readers on the team for for where we live, and um, I, I'm kind of projecting here because this is true for me. But I'm wondering how you kind of connect your love of reading and literature back to journalism. I think at the end of the day. They're both doing very similar purposes, which is storytelling. And some of my favorite authors started out as journalists. And oftentimes, I never realized that until much later or as an adult. Like Charles Dickens is one of my favorite authors. Um, that did not happen until I was an adult. And he was a, he was a journalist as well. And he, he wrote for the people. He saw what was happening around him. And I actually drew a lot of inspiration from him. And so to me, literature and journalism, they're not the same thing, but they have a common purpose, which is what I said earlier, storytelling. And I think Reading is also a great way to learn about things that you never you never knew. Um, fiction may not be literally real, but to me, they speak a lot of truth, and that's what we're here to do. Love it, Catherine. Are you excited? Can you tell? I am so excited. <laughs> <laughs> we are so excited to have you, Catherine Shen, the new host of Where We Live. Take us out. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And as always, thank you so much for listening.